dive into God's Word, I have uh, two quick announcements. Uh, one announcement is this upcoming Friday night is our Wichita uh, community dinner that we do uh, every month. It's a great opportunity and outreach for us uh, just to love on people uh, and really just to share the love of Christ with people. And so I want to encourage you, uh, we, we have a very small crew this month, um, and so if you this Friday night are, are willing, if you're able uh, we would love some volunteers, so if you could uh, see Rhonda. Rhonda's sitting right over here after service, and we would love it if, if you could come help us. We need help in the kitchen. We need help uh, with entertainment. We just need help all around, uh, so that would be super cool if you could come uh, and help us there. The next announcement, uh, you'll see again in your programs this week that there is an uh, uh, invitation uh, to a wedding that is going to be taking place uh, next Saturday. Uh, yeah. This, this awesome worship leader up here, Mariah, she's getting married, and so we want to go celebrate with her. Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, but yes, we would love it if, if all of you guys could come out. Uh, and after service, uh, you can meet myself and Mariah in the back. We have uh, actual hard copy invitations we'd love to give to you guys uh, with information, uh, with address, and all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, that'd be super awesome. Uh, and as the wedding is getting closer, it is outdoors at... Uh, Josh and Amanda Salmon's house, and uh, we are praying. We are praying for uh, beautiful weather that is not this kind of beautiful weather. And so, uh, so th 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 this is an unashamed uh, request for your guys' prayer uh, that the beautiful sun would be shining. Amen? Awesome, awesome. Well, I trust you guys brought your Bibles to church. Brought you guys' Bibles to church this morning. Everyone brought their Bible? Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to be taking uh, a break from the book of Revelation. Uh, again, I knew I'm not supposed to start this morning. I uh, planned a message for Revelation chapter 19 because I knew that's where we were going to be. But uh, Mother's Day was last week, and Pastor Joel did not come from Revelation 18. Uh, and so he said, hey, you preach on whatever you feel like the Lord is putting on your heart, and we'll pick back up in Revelation after men's retreat. So I was praying. I was seeking the Lord, and I had the opportunity to speak at a, at a, a college service down in uh, Monmouth, Oregon this last week. Uh, and God really put a message on my heart about a year ago uh, from, from the book of John, chapter 8. And uh, I've been really mulling over this word and, and just praying and seeking the Lord uh, with, with, with how he might use this. Uh, and so I, I, I spoke uh, this message to our youth at youth camp. Uh, and then the Lord um, continued to, to flesh it out in me and, and, and revealed some more truth from his word. And then spoke it on Wednesday night. Uh, and I felt like this was the word of the Lord. Uh, for the church. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 31. Uh, verse 31. John chapter 8 is a portion of scripture that is familiar to most. Uh, the first part of this, uh, the first part of this chapter, we see Jesus um, deal with a woman who was caught in adultery. And uh, as the story goes, these Pharisees, they drag this woman before Jesus and they say to Jesus, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act the law. They say that we should stone her. Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus then bends down, and he begins to draw on the sand, and he ignores them. They're like, Jesus, uh, should, we, should we kill her? And Jesus then says, he who is without sin among you, throw the first stone. And then it says, being convicted by their conscience, starting with the oldest, then to the youngest, uh, they dropped their stones, and they left. And then Jesus said to the woman, hey, where are those who condemn you? And the woman said to Jesus, there are none. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. 
Uh, and, and it's this very redemptive portion of Scripture where Jesus shows what grace is. And then we pick up uh, with this next part. So I'll, I'm going to actually jump back one verse to verse 30. I think it's up on the screen as well. And this is what it says. As he spoke these words, many believed him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son has made you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for the freeing power of your truth and of your word. And God, we pray that this morning as we spend the next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say, God, I pray that each and every single one of us would be transformed from the inside out. God, that we would be inspired, that we would be encouraged, and that we would be challenged in our walk. God, we want to live more like you, and we want to live more for you. And so, God, we pray that the transforming power of your word that cuts to the heart, uh, God, we pray that, that, that we would be changed from the inside out. God, I pray that to, uh, this morning, God, that none of these words would be mine, uh, but, God, that you would speak through the word that you have given me. Uh, God, I pray that it, it would come across loud and clear, and anything that would be of me may have fallen deaf ears. Uh, so, God, we just pray all this in these things wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, amen, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title of the sermon is Slaves No More, and we're going to look at what slavery is, and we're going to look at uh, what it means to be free, amen? Amen, awesome. So, we see here in verse 31, uh, as you know, here at Hillside, we love to go verse by verse. Uh, we, we, we like a very exegetical approach to God's word, uh, and, and so in verse 31, we see something very cool. It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, and so before we even dive into the meat of the sermon. Uh, Jesus' arch enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the Sadducees, and the Jews, uh, they're beginning, or, or at least some of them, are beginning to believe what Jesus is saying because of Jesus' redemptive qualities, Jesus' redemptive nature. The grace that he shows is beginning to transform some hearts. And so there were those that believed, and Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. So the question that I want to start us with this morning is what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? How do we know that we are disciples of Christ? I think in order to, to, to first know what it would mean to be a disciple or how we could know what a disciple is, we have to look at what that word disciple means. Anyone know what the Greek word for disciple is? Anyone out there know? All right, well, I'm going to tell all of you. and write this down. Trivia later. It's going to be good. Uh, but it is the Greek word methetes. And the Greek word methetes means this, the disciplined ones or the followers. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, first and foremost, we are all called to be disciples. Jesus says, follow me, leave what you have and follow me. And then he tells us in Matthew chapter 28 that not only are we supposed to be disciples, but that we are to make disciples. So in order to make a disciple, we have to know what a disciple is and what it means to be a disciple. If I were to enter the kitchen and say, oh man, I really could go for some chocolate cake. And I had no clue how to make chocolate cake. And I was told, make chocolate cake. And I just started grabbing chocolate and I would not be able to make a very good cake. But if I followed some instruction, I would make a semi-decent cake. It would not be as good as my mom or Mariah's. Those, those ladies, they make some cake, and it's good. Um, so we're going to follow Jesus' recipe for what it means to be a disciple. This is what Jesus says about being a disciple. He says it right here in verse 32. 
or in verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciple. So the number one ingredient for being a disciple is to be someone who is in love with God's word and is being transformed daily by God's word. Why is this important? Well, because God's word is truth, and truth, verse 32 tells us, sets us free. But before we look at the truth and the setting free part, what I really want us to focus on, and, and, and if you take anything away from this message, I'm, I'm going to really hit the sermon in the first 10 minutes, and then I'm going to talk for about another 25. So uh, if, if, you, if, if you take anything, this Greek word here, the word abide, is the Greek word meno. And meno literally means this. It means to remain, to stay, reside. It's kind of the way we think about the word abide. But this word abide is so much more than just remaining or staying or, or residing. The Greek word, is in, uh, its verb tense is the active, continual, intentional verb. This word is an active, a continual, and an intentional word. So when it says abide, it's not just sit with no intention, sit with no action, and sit just for a moment. But what it literally means is it means to be actively, continually, intentionally pushing in, drawing in, and, and seeing what God has for us. When it says abide in my word, it means to actively, intentionally, and continually abide in God's word. So when I think about my life and I think about the times where I read God's word, if, if I'm anything like you or if you're anything like me, there are times when we approach God's word where we don't have a lot of intention. We're like, ah, i got to read God's word today. But we don't approach God's word with a lot of intentionality. Now we do sometimes, but do we approach God's word intentionally every single time we read it? I might be the only one who doesn't do that, but uh, there are times, I confess, where I read God's word in the morning when I wake up, and I'm reading God's word, but I don't have intention behind it. I'm not approaching God, what are you going to speak to me specifically today for this moment? But I want to encourage you, when it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means every time we approach God's word, have some intention. Be intentional when we approach God's word. But not only is it being intentional when we approach God's word, it's being active. In order to be active, we actually have to approach God's word. How often does our Bible just sit on our nightstand or on our coffee table? Or how many times do we just leave it in the car in between Sundays? We have to be actively approaching God's word, actively abiding in God's word, not just intentionally, but also actively. And then there's that third part, we are to be continually abiding in God's word. Not just actively, not just intentionally, but continually. Because it's easy to be intentional sometimes, to be active sometimes, maybe to be active and intentional quite often. But if it's not continually, then we're not truly abiding in God's word. We're not truly abiding with the Lord the way he has intended for us to do so. God intended us as his children to be actively continually, intentionally in a relationship and in abiding with him. And here's the really cool part about this. God, God has a relationship with us, and he's promised us in Scripture that if we abide in him, he will abide in us. And if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Here's the really cool part. God wants us to be active. God wants us to be intentional, and God wants us to be continually abiding in him. But in John 14, this is the very same word abide that Jesus uses when he says God wants to abide in you. And when I think about this, this is what's really cool. God, the creator of the universe, the one who has made everything we see, he wants to be actively, intentionally, 
continually involved in you, specifically. God wants to be actively, continually, intentionally abiding with me. And, and that's so cool because it makes that abiding for us so much more desirable because we're like, man, I want to be actively, intentionally, continually abiding with God because I know He is actively, continually, intentionally abiding in me. How many of you guys have seen the recycling logo? It's the, like the three arrows that just keep going into each other. That's the way abiding with the Lord is. We put in, the Lord puts in. The Lord puts in, so we put in. And we, and we continue this cycle of just drawing near to the Lord. And I guarantee you this, when we do that, God begins to reveal deeper truths to us. And as he continues to give that truth, and that truth begins to set us free, we begin to see freedom in our lives in all areas. The early church fathers and, and, and those uh, who were in the foundational stages of, of, of the church, if you know me, you know I love history, and I can't have a sermon without some history in it, but the early church leaders, they understood what this continual, what this intentional, what this active studying of God's word was. The, the early church father from the 4th century, John Chrysostom, he says this in his homily or, 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 or his sermon notes on John chapter 8. He says this, If now we will this search the scriptures exactly, not carelessly, but exactly, we shall be able to attain unto our salvation if we continually dwell upon these things. We shall learn right doctrine and we will be able to live a perfect life. He, he, he doesn't say just sometimes. He says if we continually rely, if we continually dive into, if we continually abide in God's word, we will be able to have perfect life because the truth has set us free. But notice what he said right before this. He says, if we will then search the scriptures exactly, not carelessly. So there's intentionality here. It's, 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 we're not just careless like, oh man, I wonder where I'm going to read today. No, no, there, there's intention. God, I'm approaching your word. I want to learn from you. This word carelessly here uh, is a word that is used also uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3 as Peter, he talks about being not careless when we wait for the return of the Lord. He, he says this in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. He says that we long for or we hasten the day of the Lord's return. This longing for, this hastening for uh, is the Greek word for dasko squedo, which literally means to long for with anxiety and to be zealous with exerting of energy and being industrious. So when Peter, when Peter tells the church to be actively, continually waiting for the day of the Lord, he says to do so with much anxiety and much zeal. Now, if I were to have someone tell me I should do something and be very anxious, have high anxiety, I would take a step back and be like, I don't think that's the way I want to be. When we think of the word anxiety in our, in our English uh, language and in the 21st century, anxiety oftentimes, if not every time, is, is a negative thing. It's like, oh man, I'm anxious, I have so much anxiety, I'm overwhelmed. That's the way we view the word anxiety, but the way the Greeks viewed the word anxiety is anxiety for them was that zeal. It was the industriousness. If they weren't moving their hands, if they weren't doing things, they were being careless, but if they were doing things with intention, they were having anxiety, and that is the way that Peter tells us that we should be longing for the Lord. It's the way that John tells us that we should be approaching God's word with anxiety. What am I going to get today? What is God's word going to speak to me? What truths will I receive as I approach God's word? And it is that exerting, the 
action, the energy. It is that industriousness, that intentionality that we will get when we approach God's word, we will receive from God's word. And that's why James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's not the faith or, or, or it's, it's not the works that save us, but when we have faith and we put in the work and we do the time, we'll begin to receive and God will begin to reveal some things to us. Verse 32 says this, all that for one, one verse. Verse 32 says this, uh, you will be made free by the truth. You will be no longer trapped in sin. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, the Pharisees, who just a few verses earlier had brought this woman caught in adultery before Jesus, they were sinners trying to deal with sin. And how do sinners deal with sin? Sinners deal with sin by throwing rocks. Sinners deal with sin by being hypocrites. When a sinner deals with a sinner, there's no redemptive qualities. So then we look at what the Pharisees said, and they said, hey, the law says this. So how does the law deal with sinners? Well, when it comes to a woman who was caught in adultery, we'll use that as the example, because that's the, the part of the, the narrative right here. Uh, we see in Numbers chapter 5, verses 12 through 27, we see a prescription for how to tell if someone is adulterous, and if they are what we are supposed to do. The law says that if there was a woman who was caught in adultery, you bring her before the high priest. What the high priest would then do is he would take some holy water, he'd scoop up some dust from the floor of the tabernacle, he'd put it in the water, they'd pray a blessing over it, he'd say to the woman who was supposedly caught in adultery, if you committed adultery and you drink this water, the Lord will curse you. And then she says, so be it, and she drinks the dusty water, and if nothing happens, then she didn't commit adultery. But if she did commit adultery and she drinks it, her stomach will swell, and then it says her left leg will swell up, and then the priest will know that she had committed adultery, and then they will then be cursed, and she will be excommunicated and whatnot. And so that's how the law deals with the sinner, but what's cool about the story of Jesus and Jesus dealing with, with this person who had committed adultery, we so often could think that Jesus was dealing with the woman who was caught in adultery, but Jesus was actually dealing with a nation that had been caught in adultery. Jesus, being the living water, stoops down into the dust, and he does a little test. And he begins to say, hey, he who is without sin amongst you, throw the first stone. What Jesus does is he deals with the sinners, with the law, and we see that these Pharisees, who were the leaders of an adulterous nation, as we see in Ezekiel and Hosea, Israel is referred to as this harlot of a nation, uh, they all begin to leave. And then what we see is we see the way the Savior deals with sinners. Sinners deal with sinners bad. The law deals with sinners in a specific way, but then Jesus, the Savior, deals with sinners this way. He says this, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let's say that as a congregation one time, because I think it's really good just to speak forth this truth. But who the Son has set free is? Do you believe it? Let's say it one more time. Who the Son has set free is? Amen. Amen. Verse 33, we see that these Jews who believed were confused by freedom. Uh, freedom is not confusing, but they were confused. And this is what they say to Jesus. They said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, if you know anything about Jewish history, uh, this is a very foolish statement because they had been in bondage many times, from Egypt to, to the land of Canaan to Assyria to Babylon to Persia to Greece. So at the very moment they're saying we've never been in bondage, they are in bondage to the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, all right, I know you guys are trying to sound all high and mighty, but uh, you are in bondage, and you need to be set free. 
It's so easy for us as Christians, though, to fall into the same place that the Pharisees were when they said, well, we've never been in bondage. We've never been in bondage. As a believer, we have experienced the grace that Jesus gives us when he died on the cross. And so we can say, and it's a trap for us that we could fall into, well, you know what? If I sin, I'm not in bondage to sin because, because grace has set me free. Grace, 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 grace. I can actually sin because I know God always forgives me. So we begin to get a little bit more lackadaisical when it comes to our sinning. And, oh, I can sin more because that means there's more grace. It's the very thing that the church in Rome said to Paul. They said, hey, if, if grace abounds, let's sin so that grace abounds more. The, we can have more and more grace if we sin more and more. But Paul said, absolutely not. He says, certainly not. Um, but it is a temptation for the believer to say, I know that I have grace. I will just sin more. I will sin more. We often, we often jump because we know that grace will catch us. We have faith in grace. And so we jump into sin because we know God will save us. And uh, that's not the way God intended for us to live. God intended for the believer to live in the freedom and the liberty that comes through Christ. Not in this, oh, jump and grace might catch me, jump and grace might catch me. No, no, he wants us to live in freedom where we no longer sin. Amen. We're going to talk about that in just a second. This is what verse 34 says. It says, Jesus answered them, So surely I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. One sin makes you a slave of sin. This word slave is the Greek word doulos, which means pertaining to a state of being completely controlled by. Sin and being a slave to sin is when we are completely controlled by sin. And we, and we all know sin, it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark or all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can me measure up. So whether we think we're good or we're not, the reality is we are all sinners who are in need of a savior, and if we are not living in the freedom that comes by the renewing power of God's word, then we begin to become slaves to sin. And not only are we a slave to sin, we are one who is completely controlled by sin. Let's look at an example real quick. How many of you guys have heard the story of Samson? Yeah, Sam Samson, pretty strong guy, pr pretty good guy. We're told in, in, in the book of Judges that he was a man empowered by the Spirit. That sounds kind of familiar. <coughs> we are people who are powered by the Spirit. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, His Spirit has taken up residence inside of you, and we are empowered, as Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us so that we will be witnesses. We are Spirit-powered people just like Samson. This is what happens to Samson in Judges chapter 14, verse 8. He sees a dead carcass. He sees some honey. He says, wow, the law tells me that I shouldn't touch a dead animal, make me ceremonially unclean, but you know what? I'm going to touch it anyway. So he does, and he touches it, and he doesn't see any repercussions. How many of us in our lives do we know when things are wrong, but we commit the small sin, small in our eyes, we commit the small sin, and then we don't see any consequence. We know it's easier to commit sin again. It's like the, the five-year-old or the 26-year-old whose mom made cookies and put them in a cookie jar, and mom said, hey, don't eat the cookies. And uh, you go, you take one, and no one's looking, you eat it. 
I didn't get in trouble. No one saw me. Go back again. Take another cookie. It's easier the second time. If you don't get caught the second time, it's easier the third time. And it's easier the fourth time. Boom, 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 boom. And it gets so easy to get into this slippery slope where we commit a sin. We don't see the direct consequence. We commit another sin. It got easier to commit that sin. We've gotten better at concealing that sin. Then we commit another sin. Commit another sin. And as, as Jesus said here, the second you committed that first sin, you are a slave to sin. And it is so easy to just go into that slavery. And we'd like to say, oh man, I just unwillingly went. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But we do know what we're getting ourselves into. Jesus says, if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin. And whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Jesus wants to set us free. And by the power of his word, he will set us free. And so for the, for the Christian, the battle might not be getting out of sin. The battle, I think, in many cases is not going back to sin. For the believer who has been set free, the battle is not getting free. The battle is not going back in. Like Samson. Touched the dead carcass. Didn't see any reaction. All right, I'm going to sin again. Meets Delilah. Marries a heathen. Goes down this road to where he gets to the place, as Judges tells us, that he did not know the Spirit of God had left him. That's a scary place to be where we have gotten so caught on the downhill slope of being a slave to sin that we don't know when the power of the Spirit is not with us. What's the remedy? Spend some time in God's Word. Be actively, intentionally, and continually in God's Word. Because God's Word is truth, and what does truth do? It sets us free, and we can be no longer a slave to sin. Samson saw nothing happen, so he just continued, but he didn't realize that he was now a slave to sin. Sin ensnares us, it entangles us, and if we continue in it, we are now a slave to sin. What does 1 John 1.9 say? Anyone know 1 John 1.9? It says that if we confess our sins, God hears us. No, no, it says God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. We serve a God who does not just hear us, but he is actively, intentionally, continually involved with us. So not only does he just hear us, but he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. So what is a remedy for getting stuck in sin? Confess our sins to God, and he will set us free. He will forgive us from those sins. Confession, confession is a very freeing thing. We, we can experience such freedom in confession. For the Jews of the Old Testament, confession for them and forgiveness of sins, it was a long process. If they committed a sin, they had to wait till the next sacrificial time on the calendar where they could go to the priest. The priest would do a sacrifice for them and then they would be forgiven. And then if they sinned during the next time, they had to wait, they had to wait, they had to wait. Luckily, Jesus came and, and, he, and he was the ultimate sacrifice and now we can approach him, but the church, within just a few short centuries after Jesus' time here, they begin saying, oh man, well you got to go to the priest again. You got to go to the priest for forgiveness. You got to go to confession. Maybe once a week, maybe once a month, but you're not forgiven until you confess. And we begin to put man back in this mediator state. But here's the reality. As a follower of Christ, 
someone who has given their heart to the Lord and whom the Lord has set free, you have relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And that confession, there, there's, no, there's no mediators but Christ. And you can confess your sin at any time, not when the calendar says it's the right time, but you can confess your sin anytime. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because he is actively, intentionally, continually abiding with us, and he has set us free by the power of his word. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans. Romans chapter 6 has some things to say about this, as Paul's writing to the church here in Rome. Verse 1 says, what shall we say? Should we continue to sin if grace abounds more? Paul says, certainly not. Verse 6 goes on to say this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that he shall also live with us, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, and death no longer has dominion over him. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that our body of sin might be done away with, and we should be no longer slaves to sin. Verse 16 goes on to say, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves a slave, you obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, and whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Verse 18 says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of our flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness. We have been set free by the power of God's word, by the power of the blood of the Lamb. When Jesus died for us on the cross, his grace has set us free, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We just now must live in that freedom. He has set us free, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We need to believe that, not just 90% of the time, not just when it's convenient, but, but in order to be a disciple and someone who makes disciples, someone who is following what Christ has taught us and told us to do, we need to believe that we are free. And we need to operate in that freedom. Galatians chapter 5 says this. You can turn there, you can just note it down. Galatians chapter 5 says this in verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty and the freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Do not be entangled again. Ephesians tells us that we were once slaves to sin, that we were once slaves to darkness, that we were children of wrath and destruction. We were lost and stuck in our transgressions. But God, who is rich in mercy, he set us free. And we no longer need to go back to the entanglement of that bondage. How many of you Bible students out there know when you see the word therefore, we're to ask a question. The question is, what is therefore, therefore? So when we look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore. Well, what's the therefore? Let's jump back to verse 28 of chapter 4. It says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, or children of bondage, or children of sin, but we are free. Whom the Son has set free 
is free indeed. And there is freedom in the name of Jesus. And so we are to not be entangled with sin. We are not to go back. The word slave comes from the same Greek word that we get the word for addiction. And how many of you guys know that addiction and slavery go pretty hand in hand? And we can be addicted to our sin. God wants to set us free. Paul told the church in Rome that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. So what I want to do, just in these last few moments, as we're going to be wrapping up the message, I want to pull some examples from addicts. Being in drug addiction or any other kind of addiction, it's a, it's, it's a sad thing, but I think we can learn some principles from the drug addict when it comes to our addiction to the things of the Lord. Listen to these two points. A true addict is always willing to pay the price. A drug addict, they are always willing to pay the price to get the fix. Whether that means they throw away their family's food money for the week to buy the drugs so that they can get their fix, they're willing to pay the price. Whether that means robbing the nearest 7-Eleven to grab a few dollars so they can go get their fix, an addict is always willing to pay the price. We have been set free, and as Paul says, we can now be addicted to righteousness, slaves to righteousness. Are we, as followers of Christ, willing to always pay the price? To not just be a Christian when it's easy, to not just be a Christian when it's convenient, to not just be abiding when we want to, but to be continually abiding with intention, being active. Are we willing to pay the price to do that even when it's hard? Even when it's hard. Even when we might be the only one. It's easy to come to church and to worship God, raise your hands during worship, but when you go to work during the week and you're the only Christian at your office, are you willing to pay the price to worship God in that space? Maybe you're riding the bus. Maybe wherever. Are we willing to pay the price no matter what? Here's the second point. A true addict is willing to get high alone. Not just in it for, oh man, I got my friends, we're doing it together. No, a true addict is going to get high even when they are alone. Are you willing to follow Christ even when you are alone? When no one else is watching? When no one else is watching? That's, that's what it means to be a disciple. There is a cost to being a disciple. And it is not just a convenience thing. It is a continual thing. That is why Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, without ceasing, without ceasing. We are, being a disciple of Christ is a 24-7, 365, 366 if it's a leap year. It is all the time. Are we willing to pay the price? And are we willing to do it even if it was just us? I had the opportunity to share with a group of college students this last week. I said it's easy to come to a Bible study on a Wednesday night. But when you go back to your dorm, when you go back to your, your philosophy class, are you willing to make a stand for Christ even if you are the only one? Because Jesus is looking for followers who are willing to lay everything down and say, you know what, no matter what, no matter what, I've been set free, and I'm going to bring freedom, I'm going to bring light to the darkness around me. Are we willing 
to live so in that freedom that we see the freedom come with us wherever we go when we are willing to pay the price and we're willing to do it alone. It would be, it would be a sad, be a very sad reality to think that we were on fire for the Lord, to think that we were set free from our bondage, but to realize when all was said and done that we weren't on fire, we were just getting warmed by all the Christians we were around. We went through the motions, or, or to think that we were set free from the sin, but we were still in bondage because we never lived in the freedom and the liberty that Jesus has for us. I want to I wanna challenge, I want to encourage, I want to exhort us this morning that let's not be entangled by the things that so easily entangle us. Whether it's the littlest thing, little in our economy of scales, whether it's the littlest thing that we don't see any repercussion for, we're set free. We don't have to do any of that anymore. We have been set free, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I want to I wanna just exhort you and encourage us. We are free, and we do not have to sin anymore. And what is the prescription? What is the remedy? How do we live a life of freedom? By being a disciple of Christ. And how do we be a disciple of Christ? We do what he has told us to do. And that's to spend time with him. Because he desperately wants to spend time with each of us. We serve a God who is not made of stone, who is not made of wood, who is not made of metal, but who is living. He's created everything. And he actively wants to have a relationship with each and every single one of us. And so be encouraged this morning that we serve a God who loves us and says to us, spend some time with me. Spend some time with me. See what happens when you spend time with me. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. Abide in me. I will abide in you. I believe the most powerful church, the most powerful believer is the believer who has a full grasp that when we spend time with the Lord, that he begins to transform our lives so that then we can begin to see the lives around us transformed. Let, let's be a group of people who are so in love with our Savior that it's not just, not even 99% of the time, 100% sold out abiding with the Lord. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Well, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back, and we're going to sing one more song in closing. But I want to pray. I want to pray with you guys this morning. And uh, maybe this message was... Uh, was, was all reminder. Maybe you've heard it all before. Uh, but maybe there's one. Maybe there's one who, who, who has begun to go down that slippery slope. Or maybe there's one who's just in a full-on head roll down the slippery slope of sin. And, and the reality is we all have freedom in the name of Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you guys to stand. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And we're going to pray. But before we pray... Maybe there's one here this morning who hears this, and maybe they didn't realize that they were trapped in sin, but they realize now that they have never given their heart to Jesus, and that aside from Jesus, they are trapped in their sin. And we want to make the opportunity this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and if you've never come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to be free, and if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to ask if you would raise your hand, and we're going to pray for you. But today can be the day of freedom in your life. The 
oldest to the youngest. We're all human, and we need the saving power of Jesus. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to ask the question, if you have chains in your life, if there is bondage in your life that needs to be broken, we want to pray for you and we want to exhort you today. Those chains are broken in the name of Jesus. And so maybe you're someone who is feeling like they're trapped. What we want to pray this morning is that we would live in the freedom that we already have. Jesus already broke the chains. Your chains are already broken. And we want to pray that the Lord would encourage you and empower you by His Spirit to live in that freedom. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anyone here this morning who would just like the prayer that they would be able to walk away from their broken chains, if you'd let me know just by raising your hand and, 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 and we'd like to pray. Is there anyone here who would like to walk away from those chains? Amen. I see those hands. I see those hands. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have broken the chains in our life. God, we thank you that you have set us free and whom the sen- so that the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, we believe that and we want to walk in that. God, empower us by your Spirit to live in that freedom, to live in that liberty. As Galatians says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of Christ in that of him who has set you free. And no longer return to the yoke, the entanglement of bondage, but live in freedom. God, we pray that we would live in freedom and that we would experience the liberty that comes by the saving power of Christ. If there's anyone here who, with with every eye closed and every head bowed bowed still, um, maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart right now and saying, hey, you're trapped. You're trapped. You're a slave. And you want to experience freedom. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want to make the invitation to you right now to give your heart to the Lord. To say, Jesus, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I give my life to you. If that's you this morning, would you just let me know with every head bowed and every eye closed? Would you just let me know by just slipping your hand up and we want to pray for you as well. Looking around, looking around. Amen, amen. Well, Jesus, we declare that you are Lord. Not only are you our Savior, but you are the Lord of our lives. We've been set free, and now we live in that freedom with you sitting on the throne of our heart. God, we just pray that each and every single one of us, that you would empower us by your spirit to be a disciple of the living God, to spend time in your word, and as your word reveals truth, that truth would continually assure us of the freedom and the liberty that we have in you. So God, we thank you for the freedom. We thank you for your grace. God, and we go from this place this morning, worshiping you with our whole heart abiding in you and drawing near to you. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.